Firstly, uh, I want to welcome all the uh, City Builders community to our uh, special online uh, Easter service this morning. I want to say welcome to uh, our families, our neighbours and our friends and uh, those that uh, uh, come from other cities and regions and even some of the nations who are watching on uh, this morning. Uh, welcome to you all. Uh, this is especially uh, important today as we celebrate with the church globally the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this event uh, validates and authenticates our faith. The account of his rising is recorded historical fact. It happened. Uh, there were witnesses and there was also evidence of changed lives as a result of what occurred 2,000 years ago. Not only that, there was the legacy of a Judeo-Christian worldview that has, been, that has brought incredible blessing into our lives. And we are thankful for that. The fact is that the evidence surrounding the life, the death and the resurrection of Christ is certainly evidence that demands a verdict. And you must personally, at the end of your life, uh, give your verdict. Uh, we all must answer the question. So this is a very important service this morning. For those who already know Christ already, we, we know that, we, that his spirit has taken up residence on the inside. And this is the great mystery of Christianity, that the God of heaven could take on human form and live a sinless life. Uh, his life was offered for sin. He went into the grave and we know that on the third day he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he poured out his Holy Spirit on the church. And the Holy Spirit has now come to dwell on the inside. And that is an absolute wonder and it is a miracle to those that really understand. So the fact is that today for anyone, anyone who is a genuine born-again Christian can say without a shadow of a doubt that the Spirit of the risen Christ dwells in me. And the Bible also says that our own spirit bears witness that we are children of God. You know, when I grew up, I knew of God, but there came a time in my life, in my early 20s, just when we started out our married life together while Lynn and myself were on our honeymoon that we received the Lord into our life. Something powerful happened. I also want to say that uh, uh, 2,000 years ago, something powerful happened. And that changed the destiny of many people who saw and witnessed what happened, but also changed the destiny and fashioned the future of nations. It also happened to me and it's happened to many people who are listening this morning. And if that hasn't happened to you as yet, if you ask God, if you genuinely pray to God, that can become your experience. Uh, the the uh, Hebrew feast that we find ourselves in at the moment is the Passover. And uh, this has been a wonderful time this year in particular as we travel through this period uh, from the 8th of April to the 16th of April. We celebrate a particularly significant Passover. It seems this Passover has been one of the most celebrated ever. I'll explain. 
The Passover is the, uh, the first time when all the nations had been under curfew to protect themselves from a plague. Uh, this is amazing how God raised up Moses to be a deliverer and to deliver a nation from oppression into freedom and into destiny. According to the Hebrew calendar, the nation of Israel was locked down for the first recorded national curfew. Now, if the Hebrew calendar is accurate, that is exactly 3,333 years ago at this time as we celebrate. So this Passover has been a bit special though because we've all been in lockdown and there's been a spontaneous movement to revisit and celebrate the Passover in our homes. And this has happened right across the nations. Do you find that amazing? All while under a global curfew, lockdown, just as that first Passover was. So we've all had time to look and to think and to celebrate uh, in a different way this very uh, special time. Now, incidentally, uh, for those who like facts and figures, during this Passover, the global population will for a very short moment be, I'll try this, 7 billion. 777 million, 770,777, which means completeness. So if you're on the job this week and you are looking at the global population clock on your, uh, your um, uh, technology, you will be able to see it tick over to that number. I find it amazing that three is the number of God and the number of unity and, and seven is the number of completeness. So we are in a rather remarkable and unusual time, and everybody knows that for whatever reason. So what is this all about? It may be that some feel that we're coming to the end of an era or a dispensation, and something is about uh, new is about ready to start globally. Uh, you know, uh, different people who, who've got different ideas of, uh, you know, the end times, uh, talking about, uh, for instance, uh, a lot of the Messianic Jews are talking about the imminent return of Christ. Uh, some others are saying that this is the end of the age of sin and the beginning of the, end, the age of righteousness. Time will tell and watch this space because as further information comes to us, we will certainly pass it on. In every generation and in every crisis, God makes provision for his people and even those who maybe don't regard themselves as being his people. And that is the case today. Uh, you know, at the first Passover, there was provision made for the people of God. And we are celebrating that Passover right at this very time. I was just wondering, uh, as we preach this message today, if we could all just bow our heads in prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to be part of what we're doing. Father, this morning we lift up to you our own City Builders community and all those that we are connected with, wherever they are, our members, our families, our friends. Father, we pray for our wider community as they go through a major shake-up and times of uncertainty. Father, we pray your blessing over this region of Gippsland, this place where you've called us. 
Father, we thank you for our uh, Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Father, that you would guide him and that you would anoint him and, Father, that you would give him wisdom for this season. And, Lord God, for our own state government, Lord God, we pray, Father, that they would act and respond in the manner that you would like them to. Father, we thank you for the leaders that you have given us. So we pray for them. We pray for those who are dear to us. And we pray, Father, that those that uh, may be listening, even for the first time or maybe have come back here over, uh, after the last few weeks, Lord God, I pray for those that are seeking you out, Father, that they would be able to hear what you were saying this morning. God, we pray for supernatural provision. Lord God, while businesses are shut down, while families uh, have lots of uncertainty, and Father, above all this morning, I pray for the protection from any plague. Father, I claim the promises of Psalm 91 for all of our people, that no plague shall come near them or their dwelling. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. God, we pray, open our ears and the eyes of our understanding this morning to see and to understand. Right now, in Jesus' name, I pray for everyone. I pray for a release of wisdom. And I pray for and revelation in the knowledge of your son. Father, I pray for an impartation over the hearers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. The title of my message this morning is What on Earth is Going On? And uh, perhaps if there's another part of that, it would be, And where is this taking us? Although this message is designed to give perspective on the times we live, it's Easter Sunday and it is the Passover and the theme of the risen Christ runs through everything we are doing and we are saying. What on earth is going on? Right now at this time, uh, God has the attention of the multitudes and multitudes are being impacted in ways that we could never imagine. All of us have been affected in some way, but right around the globe, people are in lockdown. And literally, multitudes are asking the question, and maybe lots of questions, and I'm sure you have questions running through your mind this morning, and maybe you're even seeking out God for those. Maybe you're asking, what is this all about, or why did this happen? How is it possible that the whole globe became shut down. This was impossible. If we had have thought about this this last time last year, we never would have dreamt. We might even be able, asking this morning, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my children, my family, my business, my dreams, my aspirations? What is going to happen next? You know, when Jesus went to the cross and gave his life as an offering for mankind, you know, the hopes and the dreams of his disciples and his follow followers all of a sudden went up in smoke. And they never knew what was coming. But this is the power of the resurrection. And it is the theme that runs through this message this morning. I would imagine this morning that there are millions who are feeling very disorientated. And I was just thinking today as I was thinking about, you know, preparing this message, I was thinking of, uh, it's a bit like maybe being lost in a major city 
and not being able to speak the language and thinking, where do I go next? And you're looking for a sign. And, uh, you know, that, just imagine that disorientation. Maybe you are beginning to question your own thoughts about God. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and, and it's shaken your foundation a little bit. It's shaken the foundation of your belief. Or maybe, you know, you've been on the outside looking in and wondering, God, are you really there? And saying, prove it to me. So maybe you've got those kinds of questions running around your mind this morning. I wanted to quote to you a verse which really, I believe, says, uh, you know, very much where our society is at now. And it's Joel chapter 3, verse 14 to 25. And it says, multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And, you know, throughout our lives, we come to times where we have crises and it is like we are in a, a place where we've got to make a decision about the future. And, and, you know, right now, right across the globe, people are in a situation where they have to make those decisions. This message, what on earth is happening, flows a little bit from last week. We need to understand the times we live in. And we need to know what to do. I spoke about the sons of Isaac uh, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. I also spoke about how Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. He prayed a very powerful prayer that they, and I believe he's also praying for us, so this applies to us, that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Do you know what? You can know something in your mind. You can know that God is there, but you yet have not got a personal revelation. So the revelation in the knowledge of him has not yet been released to you. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him is actually a dimension or an attribute of God's spirit that he makes available to you. And I am praying this morning for you. I'm praying for our listeners because I believe that God wants to add this very powerfully to our life. So moving on, right now there's a lot going on and we need to take heed to how we hear. I want to open the scriptures to uh, Luke chapter 21 uh, verse 7 and it's talking about the signs of the times. You know, I am one that likes to know what's coming up next. And, you know, we, we in Australia for years and years have been planning our own lives and we've been thinking of what's coming next and how we will uh, educate our children and how we will fund our retirement and we like to live life like that. But do you know what? There's been a shake-up. I wanted to read this scripture and it's about the signs of the times. Because, you know, when God does things, there are always signs. And it's the disciples are with him and they ask him a curly question. They asked him and they said, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Talking about the end of the age. And in verse 8, he replies to his disciples like this. He said, Take heed that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, saying that I am he, 
and the time is drawn near. And this is the advice Jesus says. Therefore, do not go after them. We need to make sure that we are hearing the right voice, that we are tuned to the right frequency. You know, that the wisdom that is coming to our life is not only the wisdom of men, because God wants to speak to our hearts. He wants to relate to us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to guide us into the future. To be honest, there's a lot of theories out there right now, and there's a lot of noise. It always pays to have one or two friends who like a good conspiracy theory. If you have just one, I'm sure you will be fully resourced on all the possibilities of the cause of the current crisis. You'll hear about it and you'll read about it. You'll see it coming through your feed. It'll come through your messengers. It'll come from everywhere. Okay, all this is very interesting, but what the Scripture's saying, take heed who you hear. We need to be careful who we listen to. We need to be careful that we are hearing God and that we are following the right voices. So how do we handle this in a time where there is so much information and so much conflict and, and uh, so much crisis? Jesus made a provision to us when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And you find it in John chapter 14, verse 15 to 18. He said this to his disciples, very powerful. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's fair enough. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. In other words, as Christians, Jesus said, I am going to send you someone to help you. And, and he's going to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is amazing. And the end, next part of that verse, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. You know, you're not going to feel like you're alone. You're not going to be disenfranchised. You're not going to be cut off. But this is saying that the spirit of truth is going to lead us to exactly where we need to go. And, you know, if our heart is to really follow God and to really be tuned to the frequency of his heart, then we will end up, we'll follow the signs and the signposts and we will end up in the right place at the end of this crisis. So Jesus provided the spirit of truth. Why did he do it? I'll tell you why. Because deception is human nature. You know, when Jesus left the earth, he gave us a mandate. He said, go into all the worlds and disciple the nations. Preach the gospel to them. Disciple the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I've told you. And this is a tall order, to say the least. But he said, I am going to give you the spirit of truth. And he's going to guide you and he's going to lead you. And he's going to speak to you. He's going to dwell in you and he will show you how this works. And it's amazing. That is a promise. So Jesus did it because of the deceptiveness of our own human nature. 
He also did it, I believe, because he knew what was to come. He saw the mass deception and even delusion that would cover the earth in the latter days. I just want to talk about that for a moment. Deception, when it has run its full course, gives way to delusion. Uh, This is what it says in uh, Romans chapter 1. It says that uh, in verse 25, it says somewhere it says about how they exchange the truth for a lie. And I really believe that explains a little bit about the generation that we're living in now. In verse 22, just a couple of verses before, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. I really believe that when we exclude Jesus from our existence and and from our culture, that we are making a huge mistake. I want to explain. In my life, we've gone through a few stages. I don't think I'm particularly old. I'm not particularly young either. But I've gone through a few stages. When I grew up as a young man, it was the church era where the community that I grew up in, central Victoria, a farming community, everybody was at church on Sunday morning. That was a church era. And I want to uh, absolutely acknowledge this this morning, that uh, there are a lot of problems with the institutionalised church. And we've seen many of those issues publicised. And, uh, you know, uh, I just want to say how sorry I am that that has ever happened in the past. But I was brought up in church and I was grateful for my church upbringing. And everybody was there and everybody had a Christian world view. But I remember, always also remember the late 60s and moving into the 70s where we began to become post-church. And the, the story was, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And technically it's true, but it's actually false. Because if you read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, don't forsake the gathering together as is the manner of some, especially as you see the day of the Lord approaching. This is a real instruction for us and it tells us where we should be. So we went from church to post-church. Then we went to post-Christian. And, uh, and I believe when you become post-Christian, you actually begin to open your life to deception. Because Jesus said this, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but, by th- my, but through me. Jesus is the truth. So we became, we were church, then we became post-church, post-Christian, open to deception. But in this last five or six years, a word that has become uh, famous is post-truth. And we are, it's acknowledged that we are now living in a post-truth era and an and a generation like that is like that is open to not only deception but delusion. So I'll let you uh, work out how that's, um, you know, that is all interacting with our culture at this point in time. But this is the good news God always has a plan. And if we have the spirit of truth, 
You know, Jesus promised, he said, I'm going to leave you the spirit of truth and he will be with you and he will dwell in you. Isn't that a remarkable promise that he says he will live on the inside of us? So he says, I'll give you the spirit of truth. If the spirit of truth is living in you, it's like God will always give you the heads up about things that are to come. It may be a surprise, but it is not a huge shock. So, uh, you know, that's, that's how important it is to have the spirit of truth in our life. Now, relating to last week's message, we need the prophetic grace or spiritual insight, if you like, to be able to read the signs. What is going on and where we're going? If we want to get to where we need to go, to where God wants to take us, we need to be able to read the signs. My attitude to life is God, show me the way. Ever since my wife and myself uh, got married and found Christ at a Billy Graham uh, crusade on our honeymoon, and we really gave our life to the Lord there every day since we've prayed, Lord, lead us into the future. And, you know, we haven't always known why we did that, but I believe it was because God had started to do something in him and we genuinely wanted to follow the signposts. There are prophetic signposts, if you like, that will tell you where, you, where we are today and where we're going. It's amazing when you look at the scriptures, how you see this happen. The Old Testament is full of prophetic types and pictures that point toward the future. In this last couple of days, we've been joining in with, uh, with our Christian brothers and sisters and, and even connecting back to uh, you know, the Old Testament, the Passover. And when you look at the Passover, the Passover points without a shadow of a doubt towards a person. And that is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus. It's amazing. If God can open the eyes of our understanding, we can see our our present situation very differently. And this is a real key. It's important. It's important that we're able to look in seasons of crisis and uncertainty, that we're able to look and we're able to listen and we're able to observe. And that we're able to pray and we're able to process things. And that we're able to receive from God what we need during that time. This lockdown will not go on forever. But this is a time of reset and it's a time of uh, reorientation. If, we're, if we approach God like that, then we're able to respond to his grace and his power that is continually working towards us, even in this time. So we need the prophetic grace or the spiritual insight to be able to read the signs. You know, I remember literally uh, one night when uh, we were uh, in the bank up in Albury and we're just new Christians and uh, I remember, you know, we were a little bit conflicted because I believe the Lord has spoke to us about moving on from that city and we were very uncertain whether we were doing the right thing or the wrong thing. We felt so connected to the church, we loved the church there, but God seemed to be calling us on. And I just wanted a confirmation in my heart. And I remember the last night that I was there, 
God gave me a dream. And in the dream, the Lord put before me a signpost. And on that signpost, there was a couple of things. There was, there was a particular date that really, uh, uh, you know, I haven't got time to go into it now, but it really talked about the nature of our future calling. And it also had a date, eight years down the track. And in the dream, God gave me a date and a time, which was rather obscure to me at the time. But as the years went by, God was preparing me for something. And I was asked to be the pastor of this church on the 11th of the 11th, 1992. Now, you wouldn't believe what date was on that signpost in my dream. And at the bottom of it, it had a scripture. And, you know, as a young Christian, I didn't particularly know a lot about, you know, memory verses or anything like that. I, I hadn't been around that long. But in the dream, there was a scripture, and it was 2 Corinthians 2.14. And, you know, the next morning when I remembered that dream, I looked up that verse, and it said, but Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph and through us spreads the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. You know, God gave me a signpost. And, and I want to say this to you, and to everyone that's listening, is there a signpost for you? It really depends whether we look to God for the sign. You know, sometimes we can look to the world for a sign. And, and you know, Jesus uh, uh, accused the religious of looking to the world for a sign. And uh, he said it's a wicked generation that looks for a sign. But when we look to God for a sign, that's different. Because we're looking for the one who holds our future in his hands. So God has made provision in his body with regard to this prophetic grace and spiritual insight. He really has. If you read uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verse 11, it says this, that uh, um, it says, He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, is talking about Jesus, that he might fill all things, and he gave some, just say that, some to be apostles, some prophets, and some teachers and some pastors and evangelists. I got the uh, order a little bit mixed up there, but you get the drift. Now, this is what it's saying. God has put gifts in the church so that we can pick up the direction that we are to go. We can find answers in time of struggle. So God has made provision in the body, and these are called apostles and prophets. I wanted to mention this this morning because I believe in this time that we are coming into, uh, these terminologies will perhaps become a little bit more uh, familiar to us and a little bit more common. I believe these ministries will become more obvious. If you go to the Old Testament, this is what it says. In Amos 3.7, it says, Surely the Lord does nothing unless first he lets the ser his servants, the prophets, know. This is amazing. This is Old Testament technology. But in the New Testament, he said, I'm going to give you my spirit, the spirit of truth, and he's going to live in you. So we have access to everything that the Old Testament prophets had. 
But some people, it seems, are set apart and are gifted as prophetic gifts to the church. And this is a, a wonderful thing. Uh, so, you know, God put them there so we can be guided. You know, whenever someone who is prophetic gives us a, uh, you know, a word, we don't necessarily put that up there and say, well, that's what we've got to do. We are responsible to check, to see that it lines up with the word and it lines up with what God's put in our own heart and it lines up with those who are godly counsellors around our life. But nevertheless, God has put apostles and he's put prophets in the church. And uh, I believe this is going to be important in the future. As part of this, we really need to be uh, ever... Uh, than before need to be connected to the right people and uh, I feel very very fortunate because I've had someone in my life who I just want to honour and that's my spiritual father Dr Jonathan David who uh, I met 26 years ago when I went to the school of the prophets and he's been a, a, a mentor to me during that time but he's become more a spiritual father to me and I, I just thank God because I've got someone in my life who, who can speak to me and who can speak to me like a father, challenge my concepts and even realign my thinking so that I can hear what God is wanting to say in the day. And, uh, you know, this is very much a biblical concept that God will restore to the church in the years ahead. Now listen to this in 1 Corinthians 4.15. It says there are many instructors. You know, lots of people know lots about the Bible. And lots of them know a lot more than what I know. They can quote more scriptures than they know, than I know. You know, but, but this is not what it's all about. You see, God is interested not only in people who know the word, but he's interested in those who come close to his heart. And that is where, you know, if you become that sort of person, then God can download the secrets of his heart to your heart. There are many instructors, it says, but there are not many fathers. I believe the future, uh, those who are fathered, you'll see those who are fathered and those who are not. Particularly when it comes to the area of the prophetic if you really want to grow and really want to develop in here, you need to find someone, a mentor, you know, someone who can guide you and take you further, someone who, who uh, can relate to you and speak uh, what needs to be said into your life. There is an, actually an Old Testament here, and it is Elijah who's uh, one of the most well-known Old Testament prophets and his spiritual son, Elijah. And Elijah was... Uh, man who wanted to follow his spiritual father and uh, we know that when Elijah when his time come to be taken up and his mantle the scripture says fell to the ground a young man or a younger man Elijah came along and picked up the mantle when he went to cross the river and he said where is the Lord God of my father and we know from that day that Elisha carried a double portion of the spirit that was on his spiritual father. Now, this morning, 
I want to give you a key to staying in the right zone with all this. And it, it's a little bit, you know, I want to I remind you of that point that says, take heed who you listen to. Uh, because there's so many voices. And this is how you keep yourself in the right zone. When there's conflict, when there's stress, when there's challenges, you must always be more concerned with what God is doing. Okay? That is the key. In every conflict, God is working and we must always be more concerned about what he's doing. This is how we grow in our faith and this is how we can move through conflict and sometimes even strategies because every time when there's conflict, God is doing something. Now, I'm sure of this right at the moment with this pandemic that is hitting the world, there are spiritual forces that are at work. There are the hidden forces of globalism. There are political forces that are always in the, uh, you know, at work in the background so that people can gain leverage. There are economic forces at work. All these things are a reality and we are not denying that. There is a virus that is highly virulent, highly contagious, uh, which is uh, destroying a lot of people's lives and affecting a lot of people's livelihood. These are the reality. But at the same time, God is at work. I want you to know that this morning, that God is at work. He's at work in the affairs and the hearts of men and women. To be quite honest, I've never seen people as open to God as they are now. It's been an incredible shift. I don't like what's happening. I don't like the stress. But it does my heart good when I see so many people all of a sudden asking what I think about the times that we're going through and asking what this is all about. So this is a key to managing stress, finding peace and even finding your way to God's preferred, sorry, preferred future for you. When I enter times of crisis, I always endeavour to see life through this lens. What is God doing? What is he doing? It relates personally, it relates corporately to our church, it relates, uh, you know, to our nation because God is always dealing with people and he's always working behind the scenes. One of my favourite scriptures, Romans 8.28, and it says, And we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Everything is going to work out fine if we love God and we're called by him and we've responded to that call. So God's working in the background. He's working on planet Earth. God is in control while the world is out of control. And if we begin to connect with him who is in control, we will find that our own order and our own chaos comes to an end. God's working in the background. I just very quickly want to give you an Old Testament example of this. In Exodus chapter 1 and 2, after 430 years in Egypt, the Israelites came under oppression. They came under, under oppression because they had become many and they'd become a threat in Egypt. But when the nation was beginning to bring oppression 
on God's people, God has a plan. Amen? I, I want to encourage you that with today. God has a plan and his plan's working out. God has a plan. Moses was, as an infant, disenfranchised from his family. But God is always up to something far, far greater than we can see on the surface. That plan involved the future deliverance of a nation supernaturally from slavery and oppression 3,333 years ago. It, it involved the future kingdom that will be established it was a kingdom that was on the earth, but it was connected from heaven. The future church and its, and its role on the earth, this is all part of God's plan. And even the redemption, the restoration and the rebuilding of, of cities and nations. God's plan involved the city whose builder and maker is God. God's plan that started in a natural sense back in, in Egypt, is connected to the eternal purposes of God. Every conflict that we are going through today, this week, in our lives, is connected to an eternal purpose. God didn't do it, but all things are going to work out together for good. Sometimes we're just too naturally minded to see it, but this is what the Bible says. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor uh, has entered into the heart of man. God has prepared those for those that love him. God has an incredible day ahead for you and for the church, I believe. So what we need to do, sometimes we need to shut out the world. We need to quieten the media and the voices and take heed how we listen so that we can see what God is doing. Sure, we can see what the powers of darkness are doing, but every demonic influence has an expiry date. And this is a reality. If you read in eight, Matthew 8, 29, Jesus crossed over from the to the Gadarenes and he confronted a demoniac. And the, the, demon said, the, the demon spoke through the man and said, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you to come to torment, torment us before our time? Every demonic influence will come to an end. This sickness will come to an end. This crisis will come to an end. The end for us, the church, is not to stay in shutdown. Something's going to happen. I'd encourage you to read the book of Revelations often. And if I could use a word to describe the book of Revelation, it's epic. It is an epic. And, you know, the more I've been around Christianity and the more I've worked with God, the more I'm getting it. This is what it says. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and loud voices said, this is a vision given to one of the uh, original apostles, John, on the Isle of Patmos. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and loud voices said, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. I want to say to you, it's not all over. It's just about ready to begin. 
And if we can align ourselves with him, it's amazing. Now, I just want to talk in the next few moments about one of the greatest signs of the times. And it's to do with the church. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 to 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the words of the Apostle Paul. You know, right now the church is in lockdown, it's shut down. But when the church was birthed in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He was saying the church is the most powerful agency of the kingdom of God on earth and it will not be shut down. It's going to, like Jesus came out of the tomb on the third day, at the end of shutdown, the church is going to break out. Now, I want to give you some thoughts about this. Number one, the church that emerges from the shutdown will be a transformed church. This is our time, like in the cocoon. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, 3, it says, Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Do you know, if I could, I don't want to be critical of the church or any church, but if I could say there's been a little bit of a problem, the church has been conformed. But in this time of uh, being in shutdown and lockdown, there's going to be a transformation. This represents the realignment and the reconfiguration of the church. Some are expecting the second coming of Jesus. But if I go back to you know, this verse here uh, that I read before, Luke chapter 21, verse 7. Uh, it says, Take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is drawn near, therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, don't be terrified, for these things must come to pass, but the end will not come immediately. I believe that God has got some more things to do through the church, his body on the earth. Before we see the second coming of Jesus, we are going to see the second coming of the church. This will make more sense as we go on. It will truly be his church. It's sort of a, been a little bit like, hey, I've got my church over here and I've got my church here and we're doing this and we're doing that and we're doing it this way and you can do it that way. But I believe God's going to bring something together that is truly his church, his church in the city, his church in the, in the region and his church in the nation. It's a total reset of priorities. Number one, the church that emerges from the shutdown will be a transformed church. Number two, he will reveal himself in the church. By the way, God's bigger than geography. You know, the church is not necessarily a geographical place. It's a spiritual place. And sometimes we are able to meet together in a geographical place. But I've had this thought all week that God is going to show up in his house. And I thought, where is that verse? Where is that verse? And I went looking for it in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, 
Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Isn't that amazing? I believe in this time there's going to be some suddenly things happen. In the, on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, it says they were gathered in one place at one time and suddenly God did something. God's going to suddenly come to his house. God often does things suddenly. Christ will reveal himself afresh. We will encounter him afresh. Our hearts will be continually changed. I believe when God reveals himself afresh, the way that we live and express and even impact our communities will change. You will be able to find God there because he is there. He will reveal himself in and through the church. Number three, the third thing I believe that is going to happen, the church will become the place where destinies are negotiated. Do you like that? Is that okay? The church is going to become the place where destinies are negotiated. The destinies of individuals. Individual lives will be changed. We've had that happen in so many testimonies of changed lives in our church where marriages have been put back together and people who've had all sorts of addictions have been totally set free. This is amazing what God can do. The destinies of whole cities, regions, and in some cases, nations are negotiated there. God will raise up churches like this. These churches that God is going to raise up throughout the nation are the real deal. They are not just built for people, but they are built so that God can come and fill his house. Where do you find this in the Bible? In Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. It talks of the story about how Jacob met an angel. Jacob chapter 32, I'll just go there. Verse 22. And it says, And he arose that night and took his two wives and two female servants and his eleven sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man with a capital M by the way wrestled with him until the breaking of dawn what had happened Jacob because he was a man of destiny ran face to face with God now when he saw that he did not prevail against him this is God did not prevail against Jacob he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with them. Can you imagine wrestling with God? Some people fight God, resist God, run from God. But do you know what? We need to learn how to wrestle with God because there we begin to find our destiny. God asked Jacob a most amazing question. He said, what is your name? And he said, my name's Jacob, which means deceiver, supplanter, trickster. So Jacob bared his heart before God. And then God said to him, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God 
and men and have prevailed. I know I've been through times where I've struggled with God over issues. And do you know what it's done? It's brought me closer to my destiny. This is an incredible thing here because a man who wrestled with God because he wanted the blessing over his life, because he wanted destiny, it's like when he wrestled with him, there was a transaction. And he became Israel, which means Prince of God. He became a nation. That day at Jabbok, a nation was birthed. The church will become a place where destinies are negotiated. Number four, and this is very exciting, this is going to be a quality of the emerging church that emerges from the lockdown. You will see the emergence of true sons and daughters. These are a different breed. One of the men who I admire greatly in the nations, Pastor Tundi Bakari, uses this term about this different breed. He says they are a new breed without greed. They are a radical opposition to corruption. Can you imagine as these sons and daughters rise and begin to move into different domains and find leadership and influence there? I'm prophesying this. In this next 20 years, this is going to happen. There's going to be a new breed without greed. Do you know what the problem with our current political leaders? Greed, which opens the way to all sorts of corruption. Well, I tell you what, in the next 20 years, God's going to turn it on its head. God is going to turn everything around because there is a new church emerging. They have moved beyond ministry. Sons and daughters are not focused about ministry. They have moved beyond membership to become true sons and daughters. They carry a code of honour in their hearts. Their heart is for the house of God. These ones are precious in God's sight. God loves everyone. But do you know what? The future belongs to those who really become sons and daughters of God. Where do you find this in the Bible? It's in Romans chapter 8, where it says the whole of the earth is groaning and laboring with birth pangs. And it's eagerly awaiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. How do you become a son of God, a daughter of God? Well, first, you must be born again. You know, in John chapter uh, 1, verse 12, it says, To as many as received him, he gave them the right to be children of God. The minute you believe, you have the right to become a child of God. But then you enter into process. And the process of discipleship is to bring you to sonship. In Romans chapter 8, it says that we have been predestined to be conformed to his image. In other words, what the work of the Holy Spirit is, you know, when we become a Christian, it is to help us go on this process to become a true son and daughter of God. You know, in Joel chapter 2, it says this, that in the last days, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh, and my sons and my daughters will prophesy. You know, we all prophesy. We all have that capacity. 
You know, we all uh, have a touch of it. But do you know what? If you really let God take you on the journey, God will bring you to, into a place where you like his very own son, like Jesus. I hope I've explained that well. So I'm just differentiating. There is a difference between a child and a, and a mature son. But there is a process that God uses to bring us to sonship. You know, the rising of this generation represent a new day for the church like never before. God is getting us ready. I want to say to, this, uh, to city builders and to many people who are connecting with this message this morning, you are not listening by accident that God has brought you to this, to hear this word. There's a new day coming in the nation and God wants to use you. You know, uh, maybe you have been right out of the loop and on the sidelines, but God's saying, come back, come back to where you should be. And sometimes it's just pride that stops us from coming back to where we need to be. But you know, the Bible talks about a son who walked away from his inheritance and there he was, you know, when he got to the end of himself in a pig pen somewhere that he turned his heart to his father's house. God is getting us ready. Our world is being prepared for an invasion of truth. Do you want to be part of that invasion? You know, God has raised you up for such a time as this. Don't think that you're just a child of God. I mean, how good is it to be a child of God? But to be a son of God, a daughter of God that he can use to change the world is what we are talking about. These ones will have the grace to break in to the environment and to bring breakthrough. These are sons and daughters. This is my final point I'm coming to, and you may be thinking, thank the Lord, but this is the most important point this morning. The focus of the message of the emerging church, the church that emerges from lockdown, will be so clear for all to hear and see. I want to tell you what that message is this morning, is that Jesus came into the earth sent by his Father in heaven. He laid his life down for you and me. He lived a sinless life. He laid his life down in the most painful way on the cross for you and I. He paid the penalty of sin and of the sin of mankind. But just as the prophets had spoken, just as Jesus had said himself, on the third day he rose again. And he ascended into the heavens. And there now he has poured out his Holy Spirit on the church. He's made it available. And the promise, you know, Peter said in the book of Acts, the promise is to you, to your children, and to all generations, as to many who are far off. And this morning I just feel so connected with what happened back in the Passover and what happened in the garden and what happened in the upper room, I feel connected because I am that generation who is far off. And now that promise that comes from God himself can be given to you. You can, as I put out my hand, in a sense, and offering you that gift, you can reach out your hand and you can receive it. 
Do you want to do that this morning, wherever you are, as we just pray this simple prayer, which is such a powerful prayer that both Lynn and myself prayed on our honeymoon 41 years ago. Just pray after me these words. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in prayer asking for the forgiveness of my sins. I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross at Calvary that I might be forgiven and have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Father, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and I ask you right now to come into my life and be my personal Lord and Saviour. I repent of my sins and will worship you all the days of my life. Because your word is truth, I confess with my mouth that I am born again. I am a child of God. I am saved. I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Before we go, I really want to pray for you. I want to pray for everyone's listening. This is an amazing time in the nations. It's an amazing time for our church. And it is an amazing time for those that you love. Father, I just thank you. I pray that you would guide people. Lord God, that they would not feel like they are disorientated or orphans. But God, I pray that you would bring people back to your house. Father, I pray right across the nation that you would cause people to connect where, where they need to connect. Some will be called to this house. Some will be called to our church just down the street. Some will be called to other churches in the region. But Father, I just pray that your sons and daughters would find their way home. Lord God, I pray, Father, for those that want to run this race and not only believe in you, but be discipled prophetically so that they may become true sons and daughters who reflect your image. Father, I pray that you would lead them to where they're meant to be. Right now, in Jesus' name, I pray for an impartation of the spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him. Father, I pray for the spirit of truth to be released into every household. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I'd like to thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, if you found that message encouraging to you, uh, or if you prayed that prayer and you would like more information, then I'm sure there's someone in our church or maybe a church where near you are that we can direct you to. And I'd just like to invite you uh, to find us through our website and we will do what we can to help. God bless you.